Hey, just a heads up that the following content may be disturbing or triggering for some listeners and is not appropriate for children. Please take care of yourself and others who may be listening with you. Welcome to the Bonus Babies Podcast, a show that has no easy answers, only hard questions. I would not have been able to do this if I didn't have the support system that I had with my family and friends. I've always been determined uh, I've always been very motivated, but again, I walked into this not really realizing the full extent of what I was getting into. And, but for my family and friends who were there to, to help and to, you know, it was an entire family raising this child. Um, I wouldn't have been able to do it alone. Can you tell me what you call the kids who you've cared for over the years? We feel that the children that we receive coming into our home are bonuses. So we call them bonus babies. I love that. This is your host, Jane Amelia Larson, and I'm Akasa, a court-appointed special advocate volunteer for youth in foster care. Yeah, I know, it's a mouthful. In the same way Akasa works, I explore all things in the foster care maze, by talking to kids, parents, caregivers, attorneys, social workers, therapists, really anybody and everybody who will speak to me to keep the conversation open and the information flowing about all things CASA. My guest today, when she was 22 years old, she decided that she wanted to offer respite care for kids in foster care, for families in foster care, who needs a little break, who needs some help. And she thought she'd, you know, take care of a kid for a week or a month or something like that. But instead she met Ashley. She calls her Ashes when she was 11 years old. And Ashley ended up being in Anita's life for many, many years. In fact, they adopted each other when Ashley was 18 years old. And they're still in each other's lives. Ashley is also a guest on the podcast, episode 11. So you can hear both sides of their story that are pretty different sides, the side of the kid and the side of the caregiver. So it's pretty interesting. Hi, I'm here with Anita. Hi, Anita. Hello. Hi. Hi. Nice to talk to you. Okay. So thanks so much for doing this. And uh, you have a really unusual story. I've never heard anything like it so far. You were 22 years old. Tell me what happened. Uh, so at the age of 22, I was also a Girl Scout leader and I love children. Um, so I decided to research becoming a foster parent. I started looking into different agencies, uh, state agencies, and also uh, local private agencies, and I learned about respite care. And respite care is when you can help with a child in need, maybe over a short period of time, so for a weekend or you know maybe less than thirty days. You're you're 22, and you you think about becoming a foster parent or doing respite care or anything like that. What what was going on there? Are you just a super achiever or what? No, I know it sounds unusual, Yeah, uh, but it really was, maybe it was a little bit of, um, I was a little naive, I think at the time in my mind, I had already graduated from college. I'd been out of school for a year. I had a two bedroom apartment. 
I had a Girl Scout troop. I had tried um, to work with Girl Scouts for quite some time. And then I was working with girls that were in the fourth, fifth and sixth grade. And I just, I really wanted to help a child. So I reached out to figure out how I could do that. And it was unusual for the agency as well. And I think after getting to know me and talking to me and then talking to some of my references, they understood that this was just who I am. Right. So did you have experience with foster care yourself or in your family? Was there any kinship care or as a child, did you know any kids in care? So my parents didn't have foster kids, but I did have friends who had foster children in their house growing up with them. Uh, My parents, both of them are dedicated to service. And so I grew up uh, up until the age of 18 being in Girl Scouts and helping uh, the Children's Club of the Lions International, uh, the Leos. I was a a member of the Leos and so also involved in church. So I, I always service was always important in our family. And I just wanted to be able to do something where I could give back. And I love children. And so I wanted to help with children. Okay. So you're 22. Um, you pass the, the, um, the classes, the courses, the, the, the approval, right? Cause it's not easy, right? There's quite a th- few right. things you need to do. Right. And right. So you're thinking you're going to take a kid for respite care, like for the weekend or for a week or a month. Right. So what happened? So Pretty much, um, I think maybe within the week, about a week after finishing um, the training and and becoming certified to be a foster parent, I received a call asking if I could take an emergency 30-day placement. Uh, It was for an 11-year-old young lady who at the time um, was going through a bit of issues with her mother. And so they were at the courthouse, I think, at the time, and they asked if I could do the emergency placement. And I said, of course. And who was that? Who was that little girl? So that young lady was uh, someone I call Ashes. (laughs) That's the nickname I have for her. And she was 11 and I was 22 at the time. Wow. So such a close age difference. Yes. Yes, it was. Okay. So what were the first days like? So it was a little unusual. Um, I remember it was around the July timeframe. And, uh, I immediately brought her into, you know, my, uh, my family and extended family. And so we, we had a couple of events, birthday parties and things like that. And it was, you know, this is new for her as well. So it, it was an adjustment. Um, also figuring out, okay, here's a child that showed up with, uh, kind of like a garbage bag with some, some clothes in it. And so just doing some of the basics to make her feel comfortable and, one of my best friends was with me and we went to the mall and just went shopping uh, to buy her everything that she was going to need to be able to stay for a month. Right. And, and she was 11. So on the cusp of womanhood too. Yes. Yes, definitely. And how, how was her demeanor? Was she, I'm sure she was confused and probably angry and hurt or, or Um, not. She was, I think she was, you know, she can, she can tell her own story, but from my perspective, she was maybe a little frustrated, a little confused. Uh, but also the end goal was that she was going home. So in 30 days, this was happening, this was short term, and then she was going to be able to go home. And there were a lot of players who were also involved at this time. So you had a county social worker, uh, and then you had other resources, a therapist, you had another individual who was kind of, 
um, helping with her mom and Ashley, and they had all been involved previously. Uh, so you, ha you had all of these people in all of these sessions um, that she was having. So it was maybe also a bit overwhelming. Yeah, yeah, because there's all these adults saying... Right, you, you, right. Yeah. yeah, and then, so this is in the summer, but you had a full-time job, right? I did. Um, so this was July timeframe, and we immediately enrolled her in summer camp. And so she went to summer camp during the day, and I picked her up after summer camp. It was a little unusual for her because at the time, she also hadn't been to summer camp before. Uh, so being able to do that activity and to build social relationships with other children, I think um, that was a little challenging. Mm -hmm. And did you know about her home life prior to coming to you? Did you know why she was removed from care? Uh, so the social workers advised me. They gave me um, a little bit of information. And as we continued to progress, I learned more. So going to therapy sessions with her where she would go in first and then we would have joint sessions after or I would meet with the therapist after and then also meeting with the social workers. So I, I didn't know everything when I went into it, uh, but I learned more as we went along. Mm -hmm. And then, all right, so what happened? She's supposed to be with you a month, right? So what else? Right. So she was supposed to be with me. We're in, we're in the summertime. She's supposed to be with me a month. That gets extended. Uh, at the time, the court issued an order for her biological mother to do a number of things in order to meet the, uh, meet the requirements of the court. Um, and she hadn't done it after the 30 days. And so that time frame was extended. So then we move into August. And I just remember um, maybe a little after Labor Day, I hadn't heard anything from anyone. And I reached out to, uh, or maybe it was a little before um, Labor Day, but I remember reaching out to the social worker saying, hey, it's, it's September, school is about to start. Uh, should we enroll her? And they called me back and said, yes, enroll her. Right. So did you also hold her educational rights or were you just able to enroll her without, without any court order? I had a letter. Uh, so that was, they, they provided me with a letter authorizing me to enroll her and to provide her medical records and, and everything else that she would need to enroll in school. And how did you feel about the support system that you had um, as regards the county? So is that your little I boy think, I hear? Wait, wait, hang on. Is that your little boy I hear in the background? <laughs> he is, although he's not actually in the room. I'm in a separate no, room. <laughs> no, that's fine. I just thought it's really cute. I can hear him. Oh, there he's laughing. Okay, go ahead. Yes. <laughs> All right. All right. So I was asking about your support system. Did you feel supported? Uh, I did. I actually, I felt, um, I felt very supported. Uh, there was a county social worker who was very involved, and then they also contracted with a private agency, and the social worker from the private agency was also very much involved. And everything that I needed and called for, uh, they were very responsive. Um, so whether that be tutoring or finding a summer program or aftercare, they were, they were always very responsive. Uh, and then there was also a therapist who had, she, she had seen uh, before prior to meeting me. And we continued those sessions with the therapist. Uh, and that was a situation where if I, if I saw things or recognized things, I would bring that to the attention of all of these key players. 
Right. So how did you see yourself in her life, just as a caring adult or an older sister or a wannabe mom or, or what? Right. I think uh, initially, and especially since it was supposed to be a 30-day placement, uh, I saw myself as kind of like a, a caring adult and also a big sister who, who was here, you know, someone else who loved her and, and would take care of her and, and be there to help be there for her. Right. All right. So then what else happened? Because I know there's a lot to the story. Right. So let's see. Um, we're, we're at the beginning of the school year. Ashley became a part of my Girl Scout troop. So that was also um, something that was a little interesting. She was a little older than the other girls, but, you know, it was a way to try to build, again, social relationships. So we had her as part of the troop. Um, we had other activities that we, we tried to involve her in. And that, too, was an adjustment because she she hadn't been very social um, outside of her immediate family. So being able to, to build those relationships, that was something that um, I encouraged her to do. And also in, in her therapy sessions, that was something the, the therapist was working with her on, building sustained relationships. And how are you during this, this time? How, how was it for you? Uh, I think in the beginning it was, it was fine. Um, because again, like I said, I, I had the resources of, you know, yes, I was, I think at this point I also, I turned 23. So yes, I am a young adult. Uh, but I was also a very mature young adult. I, I did have a boyfriend at the time. He, um, was in New York. So we had a long distance relationship and we had been together. Uh, we'd known each other since high school. So, so that wasn't really a factor. Um, my friends were very much, uh, my close friends were also kind of there for us. So it changed my life in that we'd go to dinner and instead of, you know, going to dinner, like something after I'd bring Ashley with me to dinner and then we were going back home and my friends were going <laughs> to do something else. So, so right. <laughs> that part of it was, a, was a little different. Mm -hmm. Uh, but the, the beginning of it, I think, um, for me, I would say it was more about, okay, how can I help her and how can I help her get adjusted? Uh, that kind of transitioned and it became a little more difficult, um, with me being in the middle of having her mom have visitations. Uh, there were, there were some conflicts, um, with that. And I think at the time, maybe I was, I was a bit young and, and not mature enough to realize, uh, some of the issues that come with the parent. And yeah. some of the things that, that could occur when you're dealing with a parent who has their own set of issues. Uh, so that, that I think was more of the surprise. It wasn't so much, um, for the, the child, although there were things there, but it was, uh, a lot of the interactions with the parent could sometimes be hostile. And that was hard for me. Right. Cause I imagine at that point you wanted to protect her too, right? I did. Yeah. Um, so there were times where I would get really frustrated when, she would go back to her mother, whether it be a, a phone call or an email, because it always left her devastated. Uh, and in my mind, and this is me, I guess, kind of making it about me, but I couldn't understand why she would go back and, and continue to suffer that way. You know, you, you have a family, you have people who love you, we're, we're always there. And every single time there was a, a time that she didn't talk to her mother, that she called me or her mother or one of or my mother or one of my friends crying hysterically. 
um, because of something her mother said or did to her. Uh, and then she would, you know, take a break, you know, not talk to her for a couple of months and, and go back. And it was, it was really difficult for me to once see her go through that and to, and to hear it. Uh, and I remember being overseas and there was someone else, um, who I was talking to about this and they kind of said they were in a similar situation, um, with a a nephew and they were like, you just have to let them do that. Like, that's something it's not about you. It's something that they have within them and you have to let them go through that and then just be there for them. And were you able to do that? It was, but I think, um, in showing her that I was sensitive to it, she doesn't really talk to me about her biological mother anymore. Right. She um, keeps it from you. She, doesn't she, want to she keeps you or... it from me. Right. Exactly. And then it, w- it became a little abrupt because, um, the visit slowed and they, they stopped, uh, her, her biological mother moved away. Her grandmother was sick at the time. And so her biological mother moved out of the area and there was a pause on visits for a while because she was no longer in the area. Right. And that must have made her feel really let down, too, even if she was um, conflicted with the visits, even if she was feeling let down, if the mom was not doing what she needed to do to get her back and then stop visiting. That's really hard. Right. I would think it was confusing for her. I remember one time um, the aftercare person told me that she was going home soon. She's like, Oh, I hear Ashley's going back with her mother. And I'm like, no, she's not. But that was the story that she made up and that she told herself that she was going home. And there was this plan that she was going to be going home within a week. And it wasn't true. She hadn't actually talked to her mother for some time. Mm. Yeah. And did you ever talk to her about that or you just kept it to yourself? No, no, no. We, we talked about it because it's important to explain to her that, you know, of course, the ultimate goal is for you to, to go back home. But right now, uh, we're still working. The social workers are working with your mom and the therapist is working with your mom um, so that you can go back home and that it can be a good situation for the both of you. Uh, so in the beginning of this process, the, the goal was always you know, reunification with the parent. And I, in my opinion, um, as kind of like an outsider, it seemed like the, the social workers were, were doing a lot to try to make that happen. But then, of course, that didn't happen, right? She never went back with her mom. No. So let's say, so now we're dealing with, okay, we have the the first year. And at that point, her mother didn't do what she needed to do. Uh, and because of that, the recommendation of the social workers and also her guardian at Lightham, uh, because at this point, you're looking at some type of permanency. And so they have to have a permanency plan. And they recommended against reunification, uh, and they recommended, um, foster care. Uh, so Ashley would then remain in the foster care system that went on. Um, I would say probably for another year because her mother appealed, uh, but then she also lost the appeal. And at this point, we're, we're now maybe a year and a half, two years in, and she can also, she's starting to feel things and, and see the difference in that, um, the visits are sporadic. Uh, maybe sometimes things were hostile. It didn't make her, her feel great. And so, um, I, I don't think she, and, and again, you can, you can ask her, but she wasn't as eager to return at that point in time. Uh, it was also a very difficult 
time for me. Uh, my goal. So now we're we're two years in, and I was about to start law school. Uh, for me, it was okay. I I signed up for a thirty day placement, um, and and I love this child, and I I want to be there, but I also have the goal of going to law school and. I was working as well. And so I had to be fair to her and also to myself and that I, you know, realized there's no way that I could be a parent, start off law school and continue, um, continue to work. And that, that was a very a difficult decision and also, um, a very difficult conversation, uh, to have, but we did. And so, um, I know, I know it was extremely difficult for her uh, but she then moved on and went to live in another home during that time. Mm-hmm. And she must have been really disappointed and also felt abandoned, even if she understood your reasons, right? Absolutely. Um, I think no matter what, you know, I could say or what I did, no matter what, it's going to be, well, here's a person who I've been with for the past two years and she's kind of, she's abandoning me. She's, she's turning on me. I, I wanted to make sure that um, she understood that that was not the case and I would continue to be there and I would show her by actions, not necessarily just words. So I went to get Ashley. I mean, it was it was on a regular basis um, on the weekends, during holidays. I took her on vacations with me. Um, I took her uh you know, back with my family when, when we were going away for holidays. So I continued to be there, um, no matter what, even though she was with another family, uh, with the second, uh, foster parent that she had, there was a lot of conflict and she would frequently call me. I, I bought her a cell phone so that she could, she could reach out in with coordination in coordination with, uh, the other foster parent. And it was, I, I gave it to her in an agreement of, um, you know, kind of getting along with the, with the other foster parent, but that she could call me if she needed me. And she did. And there were times where I, you know, they were maybe an hour away and I would, if she called me, I would drive there and, and try to like, um, resolve whatever issue was happening. Uh, so I think that lasted for a, a few months and then she went on to another, another household um, with a, a third foster parent at this point. So she was separated from her mom and she developed a relationship with you. And then she went to another foster home and then another mm-hmm. foster home. So this is yes. like, all right. So essentially her third placement. This is, this is her third placement. Yes. Yeah. And just probably three years, right? Right. Yep. Yeah. And what was she changing schools too? So she remained so she was in the same school with me for the two years and then with the other two parents she changed schools okay then what happened actually no she wasn't with me for the same i moved and so she actually she did have uh, a different school so yes there were two different schools at that point uh so she's with the third foster parent and again at this point i'm finishing up my first year of law school uh, I am about to buy a house, uh, and I'm continuing to work. And let's see, she, at one point we had talked about her, her coming back to live with me, but 
she then thought, well, she wanted to be with someone who was a mother figure and I was more like a big sister to her. So she had a conversation with me where she told me that she didn't want to come back with me. And I remember exactly telling her, you know, that's okay. All I want is for you to be happy. So I proceeded to go into, um, I guess the next year of my life planning to, you know, I'm have my house, I'm in law school and I'm working and I will continue to be there. I thought we were going to continue to do things the way we, the way we were doing it. That then changed. Uh, she was with me for when I was having a housewarming party. And so of course, Ashley's family and she was, she was there, uh, hanging out for the housewarming party and she had an overnight bag. So she was spending the weekend with me. Uh, and I received a phone call from the third parent saying, actually, it wasn't a phone call. It was a, a voicemail message that she left, uh, saying that she had left a message or she had talked to the social workers, but she wasn't going to be able to take Ashley back. And I heard the message and, um, I said, okay, like this was, this was God talking to us and this was meant to be. So I, actually didn't tell Ashley that that conversation happened at all. And I just said, okay, I think we, I've talked to the social workers and we've worked it out and you're, you're going to stay here. And she was okay with that? She was, I think somewhere in between in the summertime, she had also changed her mind a little bit. And she, she, had, she started saying, well, I do want to come, come back with you. But I explained to her, you can't like go back and forth and jump around homes. It, it, it doesn't work that way. So she was happy about it. And how did you feel? Did you feel like, oh man, here we go. This is no, this is not it. at all. Um, I, I felt like it was meant to be like, it was supposed to, this was, you know, the, actually I was always with her. Even the year that she lived in these other homes, you know, it was me driving an hour to go and figure things out when she was uh, having an issue or taking her on vacations or just going and having lunch with her. Um, you know, I, w I was always there. I was still, at least in my opinion, I was still very present in her life. So no, it, it didn't feel, it didn't feel stressful at all. And then you end up, ended up what? Adopting her, right? I did. I, I adopted her later on after she turned 18, um, because her mother's parental rights. So she lost custody. Uh, but she, the way the system works, I think her parental rights actually hadn't been terminated. Uh, they made it fa permanent foster care, but her mother's parental rights weren't terminated. So when she turned 18, we had a conversation. Um, at that point, she was going off to college in New York and I was about to go uh, overseas. And I wanted her to feel and to know that we were family. And you know, you can say that, but I, I wanted her to, to actually to feel it. Um, and I thought that that might help. So I had talked about it with the social workers and they gave me a lawyer where, um, we could do it easily if we both agreed to it. And so we did. So it was something that you felt you wanted her to have, like, to make everything more real so that she knew that you were always going to be in her life. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And at that point, she's in New York, you're overseas, and your mm -hmm. own family ended up becoming a support system for her, right? Oh, my family was amazing. Um, my, I mean, I mean, Ashley was immediately family. And 
I actually, I, I give a lot of credit to social services and understanding and, you know, respecting that and, and treating it that way. They did background checks and, and did everything on my parents so that, you know, it was like Ashley going to her grandparents' house and it was okay. Um, I, I didn't have to be there. I could, I could leave her with her grandparents and, and they did that. Uh, she went to New York for a summer. The summer I was studying for the bar. Um, Ashley spent the summer. My dad took the train out to where we were and, and took her back. Um, and the social workers visited her there. They visited with her in New York while they understood like, okay, Anita's studying for the bar. And so they, um, they had did their visits with her in New York and she spent her summer with her grandparents. You know, it sounds like you had such a good team, you know, and that's so often not true. Unfortunately, I did. I had my, my parents, my sister, my best friends. I really, I had a huge network of people who were there to support. I mean, and even in the high school years, it wasn't always easy. Um, and, and she and I had that, like, although I'm 11 and a half years older than her, uh, we, so maybe she called me her sister at that time, but the dynamic was very much, I think, parent and child. And so when, when we didn't agree on something or when we had conflicts, my, my friends would come over and, and they would step in and they would talk to her. And I, I encouraged that and I appreciated it because she had several people she could call and go to um, when she was frustrated and when she felt like I wasn't getting it and I, I didn't understand. And they wouldn't tell me, like, if there was something that was, was drastic, they would come to me. But otherwise, you know, she had people and she still has those relationships with them. She still calls them. Um, you know, if, if she's frustrated and she doesn't want to come to me with it, she goes to them. Um, you know, we're a family. So I have a great network of, of family and friends who, uh, immediately, um, you know, Ashley, I, I brought her in as a foster child, but she was family. It was not, we actually didn't even like to use, uh, the, the term like foster child to Ashley's my daughter. Um, at the time, I think because we were young and I was young in age, it was a little weird for her explaining it to people. And so she would say my sister. Yeah. Uh, and that's fine. But we're, we're family. Right. And you're married now and you have other kids. I am. Yes. Uh, so I'm married now about, uh, going on six years and we, we knew that in having this ceremony, we never wanted her to feel, even though she's, I think at that point, she's like mid twenties, but we wanted to make sure that she knew, all right, this bond isn't going anywhere. You're still, you're sort of part of the family. And so we had kind of like a, a unification ceremony where, uh, my husband also had, um, two children prior to us and, you know, we all held hands and we said vows to each other and she's in her mid twenties. And she took that very seriously. We, we joked that, you know, she was, she was looking at both of our eyes as we said our vows to the children. And she, you know, that, um, my son's, my husband's, uh, oldest daughter was kind of like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But Ashley was really paying attention and, 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 and into it. Um, and we were, we were a little concerned on how she might feel, uh, when we had a, a child together, the son you heard <laughs> in the background, but there were no concerns. She, she dotes on her younger brother. And I mean, there are times where she calls me and she doesn't want to talk to me. She wants to talk to him. She's like, mm. how's my brother doing? Uh, send me pictures, send me videos. She came out here during the pandemic to, to help out and take care of him when, uh, I was going back to work. So she, she loves her, her younger brother. And actually just earlier, she texted me and asked how her, um, her stepsister is, uh, she, how's she doing in, in college? Cause she just started college. 
so you have this blended family. She's still part of it, right? She's still in your life. Of course. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, and as you know, I'm hoping to talk to her as well. Yes. And I think that it looks like it might work out, but she's still part of what's going on in your life. Or is it that now she's just moved on with her own adult life the way adult kids do? And No, I, I, I think she's still very much a part of our lives. I'm no longer in, I'm no longer on the East coast. So of course I don't, I don't see her as often, but she's in the same state as my parents. You know, she has her keys to the house. And uh, for example, during the pandemic, she walked maybe about five miles to bring them groceries. Uh, she made sure like, I need to get my grandparents groceries. Um, wow. she and my mom are, are, are like that. They are, they are very close and, you know, she'll come over to the house and she'll, she'll cook, she'll wash, wash vegetables, she'll clean, and then she'll go back to her apartment. She's a young, you know, she's a young adult. So she's living that life. And that's not to say, I, I'm sure there's still struggles that are there. I think there are struggles that will always be there. Um, I think that's something that I learned through this process and I, I had to learn and respect, uh, I thought, okay, well, I'm, we're going to sign on the dotted line and this will really show you, this is your family. You don't have to think that we're going to abandon you or that you, you don't belong. And I can't control her feelings, you know, no matter what she's been through some things. And although it's been 20 years now, almost 20 years, that's still there. And, and I can't change that. The only thing I can do is, is listen and continue to be there. Yeah. And also continue to love her. It sounds like too. Absolutely. What would you say to somebody who's 22 years old that was thinking about perhaps helping out a kid in care the way that you had thought that you'd be doing? That's a tough question. Um, I, I know my, my husband and I were, were just talking about that and we have different, we have different opinions on it. Um, I would continue to be encouraging because at the end of the day, I feel like you're doing something that helps a child. Um, you know, I understand there there might be an opposing view to that, whether it's, you know, are you, is it, you know, a shortcoming or is it that you're not giving your all because you, you are so young? Um, I guess in my opinion, and, and I'd, I'd like you to ask Ashley that question, you know, her thoughts on it. But for me, if, if I did something that helped a child and changed their situation so that they could grow and, you know, um, continue to do wonderful and beautiful things, then, then I feel like I, I did right. I did the right thing. So how do you feel about what you've done? Um, it's just my life. Like, I don't, I don't feel, a I don't know that I have a feeling about it. Uh, it's just, it's just my life. <laughs> that's just what, that's what happened. You know, it, yeah, you sound so matter of fact about it. Um, and I, I, I find that kind of astounding. I mean, I see you smiling. So yeah. if, it obviously gives you something, you know, when, when people ask me about my CASA work, I have to very quickly tell them that I don't take kids into my home. I, I'm not a foster mom. I, I don't, I don't think I could handle it. I can't handle the ups and downs, the responsibility, the ongoingness. And, right. but you did. I'm smiling because I get that question a lot. Um, I guess I, I have, I have heartburn or, or, um, it's difficult for me to say like, oh, well, you know, I did this amazing thing and I helped a child because it, it wasn't like that. Like I, I went in helping a child, but I think we helped each other. We, you know, 
I became a woman being a parent to her. We, we, for so long, it was just the two of us. Um, and so, you know, it, we had our ups and downs and, and continue to, um, I think as mothers and daughters do, uh, but it's, it's just my life. Like, I don't think it was anything so great that I did. Um, it was just, it was something that I did. I do think it was a good thing if it, it helped her. Um, but you know, I think we helped each other, you know, we, and we, we continue to do that. That's a really beautiful thought that, that by you extending uh, yourself, your home, your care to a kid that needed it, you actually got a lot out of it. People talk about that all the time. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, it's funny. Uh, there are times where I get frustrated and she knows me like, you know, how your, my sister might know me or my husband might know me. Like she really knows me. And so there are times where I come to her crying because I'm frustrated about something. Um, so it's, it's a mutual thing. Mm, that's really nice. Yeah. All right. So let me, let me ask you, um, and this might be a hard question, but mm -hmm. what would, what's the one thing that people would never know about you unless you told them? And I'm sure you have a lot of things, but, um, is there something about you that people would never know unless you told them? I think, uh, I might come off as being very outgoing and I join a lot of groups and, um, you know, even at work, I'm trying to be personable and, and mentor, but I think I have times of actually where I'm a little shy and not that it's, it's work to go out there and do that, but there are times where I'm kind of like, mm, <laughs> maybe I could stick to myself. And then, uh, something in the back of my head goes like, no, let's, let's go over and, and say hello and, and be sociable. Right. So you force yourself to do that so that you don't end up sitting in a corner. Sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. Because as I'm looking at you, I see like you do present as really smiley and friendly, articulate. And you're you're you know, you just want to exchange. You're not you're not right. holding back a whole lot. Right. Right. But there are times where it's, it think it might be, you know, sometimes it's just like, oh, well, I could just not say anything and, and kind of keep to myself. Um, but I. I don't know Then maybe if I'm in that situation, I'm like, well, that might be rude. I need to talk to people. I need to go over and, and say hello and be social. Mm -hmm. All right. So you've got four kids now. Are you thinking about having yes. any more? Uh, no. Five, this six, seven, eight? No, 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 no. no. <laughs> and they're all very spaced out. So, you know, 30, 18, 11, and three. So I, I think this is it. I recently signed up to be a CASA, and I think that's my way of, of getting back involved in it. Oh, so I'm, I'm taking so the glad. training now. Yes. So I'm yeah. taking the training. I just had my uh, first train, virtual training session, uh, which actually I thought was great. Um, it's interesting having been a foster parent and having the situation that I, I had to now uh, want to be an advocate for a child, and, and I'm really excited about it. You're going to be great because you you have you can have so much insight. So, I mean, you've got skills and and uh, and a history and a background that are going to be invaluable. Well, thank you. I'm really I'm really excited about it and looking forward to it. Um, I was sitting here after the training. We just had our first training session, and I started telling my husband, and he's like, "You were really excited about this." And I'm like, "Did you hear what they just said? And did you hear what the judge just said?" 
Uh, so I, I feel really good about getting back into it. And although I'm not going to be a foster parent, um, I hope that I will be able to help another child uh, who is in foster care. You can, you know, uh, I remember I was, I was filled with trepidation when I was uh, first um, thinking about being in a CASA and then mm-hmm. even through, through part of the training. And I remember somebody said to me, if you do one thing good for this kid, for a kid, it's all worth it. Absolutely. Yeah. So, and then I was like, okay, you know, I can, I mean, there is going to be at least one good thing that I can yeah. definitely pull off. And of course it ends up being a lot more than that. And the, one of the main things is, as you can imagine, is that as a CASA, you're not paid, you're a volunteer. So nobody owns you. The only yeah. person, you know, I say to my kid, I work for you. And absolutely. She says, you, and she's like, yeah, you work for me. I was like, yeah, I work yeah. for you. And uh, it's it's great because of that, because you get a chance to really dig deep and find out what's going on because nobody owns you. I'm I'm really looking forward to it and going out and finding things that they might need, um, you know, resources, whether it be an activity or school or medical care. I'm I'm really excited about it. I'm so thrilled you're doing it, Anita. This is the first, you're the first person that has told me in a, in a long time that they're going to be a CASA. I mean, I know, I know they're recruiting and they're always, mm-hmm. they're, there's more people, especially if they've needed them a lot during COVID. But right. you're the first person I'm talking to. It's like, yeah, I'm going to be a CASA. Like, wow! Yeah, I actually, <laughs> I'm surprised I don't see more people doing it. And I already told someone, I'm like, all right, I'm going to help them with recruitment. <laughs> I'm going to bring some others uh, into this because I, I know it's needed. That's really great. And as you said, uh, Ashes did have a guardian ad litem, which is the same thing. They just call that in a, in, a, in a different state. And so you probably knew a little bit about it just based on your own experience or was it or was it not? Um, so when I told Ashley that I was going to do this, uh, she said, like, and she named the person who was her guardian that litem. And I think the CASA, at least in this uh, sense, is a little bit different because her person um, would call right before it was time to go to court and she made, she might take her out or maybe she, you know, did it over the phone, but she didn't really talk to her other than until it was time to go to court. And it was like an inside joke between the two of us. Like, oh, it's court time. She's going to call right now. She wasn't doing the work. Yeah, she wasn't doing the work. No, no, no. So I, I hope it's not like the experience that, that I had. Uh, and when she got into the courtroom, I mean, her reports were great, but she she only talked to her right before court. Yeah, so that's, I that's think a pity. Um, I'm, mm. I'm looking forward to doing more than that. Okay, I have one last question. So what is it about you that enabled you to do that? And I know you said it was service. I was raised in a family that supported that. But what the hell was it that allowed you to do that? Because most people don't have that, Anita. Yeah, um, that's a that's a tough question. I think I would not have been able to do this if I didn't have the support system that I had with my family and friends. I've always been determined. Uh, I've always been very motivated. But again. I walked into this not really realizing the full extent of what I was getting into. And, but for my family and friends who were there to, to help and to, you know, it was an entire family raising this child. Um, I wouldn't have been able to do it alone. 
and also with the the great um, social workers uh, and the the therapists um, who were also very much a part of it. It was like we had this huge network of people who were were all in it together. So there's nothing special about you. I I don't th- I mean. Is it special to, you know, have a love for children? I don't think so. I think everyone does, or a lot of people do. You want to do, you want to do good things. So it's just, it's just me. I, I mean, right now, if you could, you know, talk to me and say, okay, well, you're going to be a CASA and then, uh, can you also help and do this? I would try to do it. Well, listen, I'm so proud of you for what you've done. I think I'm, I really can't wait for people to hear this to the kind of effort you've made, the commitment you've made, and now you're going to do more too. I mean, well, thank you for thank you for doing this. Um, foster children, again, have been near and dear to my heart. And I think a lot of times uh, they're forgotten about, uh, especially when children age out, you know, when they turn 18 or even 21. A lot of us are not adults when we turn 21. And so it's really important to to understand um, foster children and what they go through in the process and anything that um, we can do to help is important. So thank you for doing this podcast. Oh, that's great. Thank you, Anita. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for telling us your side of the story, Anita, and for also landing home that it takes a village. It takes a lot of people. A lot of people are needed to take care of kids who come from a broken home or a troubled home or who have experienced great trauma and need to be removed from their home. And thankfully, there's people like Anita that have stepped up to do that work. And the more people out there like Anita, the better things would be for all of these kids. And they deserve it. They deserve our help. If you see something, say something. If you suspect that a child's health or safety is jeopardized in any way by parents or anyone else, contact the Child Protective Services Agency in your county. 24-hour hotlines are staffed by trained social workers who will help you through the process and you can do so anonymously. In California, you can call the Child Protection Hotline at 800-540-4000. So if you see something, say something. You might be saving a child's life. If you want to know more about becoming a CASA anywhere in the country, go to nationalcasagal.org. And in L.A., casala.org. And if you want to know more about becoming a foster parent, check out National Foster Parent Association at nfponline.org. There's also faithfosterfamilies.org and adoptuskids.org. There's a ton of other information online as well. Just hunt around. I want to thank the supremely talented Christina Apostolopoulos for her beautiful music, Eferisto. To hear more of her music, go to Spotify and Instagram at Christina Aposto. That's C-H-R-I-S-T-I-N-A-A-P-O-S-T-O. I know you want to. Her stuff is really great. And thanks to my audio producer extraordinaire, Marcos Campito. I'm glad I found you. Thanks for listening. And if you like what you hear, please rate us and hit subscribe. <laughs>